Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I talk to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today I speak to Scott Salmon of Nautilus Effects. You might recall I had Scott on uh, earlier in 2020. Scott's the mastermind behind the Australian Gear Giveaway, raising money for the bushfire uh, disaster that Australia was faced with as 2020 rolled around the corner. Uh, He raised a huge amount of money, so I wanted to get him back on the show just to catch up where that whole effort ended up. But also wanted to talk to Scott about his company Nautilus Effects, which specializes in putting together pedal boards, various rigs, and uh, also imports some really great gear into Australia as well. So it was a very cool guitar chat. Scott's a, a great guy, very humble, but very knowledgeable and skilled as well. So it was very cool to have him back on the show. Let's jump straight in. Scotty Salmon, welcome back to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Now, mate, last time we spoke was early January. Australia was engulfed in bushfires and you had just launched the uh, the Aussie Bushfire Gear giveaway, which pretty much just exploded right off the bat. Yeah, it went a little crazy, didn't it? Yeah, man. I just imagine your, your life was... Uh, it escalated really, really quickly. I guess if um, if people are not aware of what what you were doing, um, I'll, I'll do the summary. Tell me if this is right. But uh, you you got you run Nautilus Effects, so you 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 are you're well entrenched in the musical gear industry, and you were you wanted to put up a, a pedal or something for auction to try and raise some money, and then a whole bunch of other builders wanted to get on board and help out. Yeah, pretty much. I sort of started a GoFundMe page and I said that if everybody, anybody that donated was going to, I was going to sort of pick a name out of a hat from those people and give away a Shinai pedal. Um, and then, yeah, some of my other suppliers and stuff saw my Instagram video and they sort of said, oh, well, we'll donate something. And all of a sudden we had, what, like 130 pedals donated and <laughs> I was a very busy boy. Yeah, man. Um yeah, it ended up being like uh, companies from all around the world. There was uh, JHS with Josh Scott and um, uh, the Keeley, you know, the pedal show. I'm, I can, I'm only naming a couple, but um, yeah, amazing, amazing how people just got on board. Yeah, and, and not just not just big names, but little guys too that even I'd never heard of, you know. We had guys um, from Italy, uh, Genziano, he came on board. I never heard of him and he makes amazing stuff. Um Isle of Tone over there in, I'm pretty sure it's Norway. Uh, we had a uh, greenhouse from Israel, like literally all over the world. It's wow. just geographically everywhere. That's unreal. So I think your goal, once you started getting a few different pedals and you thought, okay, well, I think one of your early goals was at ten to raise $10,000. Yeah, and I thought that was being a bit cheeky. I thought I, I initially started at at five. Okay, yeah. By the time I'd even actually launched the GoFundMe, I sort of thought, oh, well, maybe I'll go for ten. So I put ten on there, thinking, "Oh, we won't get that, but it's a good goal." Awesome. And, and where then, where did you end up? Uh, we ended up just shy of forty. So once we got through the um, the the actual GoFundMe fees and stuff associated with doing that, we had about thirty seven thousand. Wow! Unbelievable! Yeah. Unbelievable! This is this is uh, this is one guy uh, putting up one pedal to auction, and then it's snowballed to that. Fantastic! Congratulations and 
good on you. Thanks, man. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, let, let's talk about Nautilus effects. Um, what's the Nautilus effects story? Where, when when did you start this company? Um, I think officially it became a business maybe five or six years ago. Yep. Um, and, and what did it, that look like kicking off? Um, kicking off, it was just basically me uh, building pedal boards for people. So they'd bring all the gear in and I'd wire it all up because I sort of was the only one, at least in the area, that sort of had the skills or the knowledge to be doing it. I, I started building my own pedal boards like 15, 20 years ago um, when the only other guys doing it were like, you know, in New York or something, you know. Yeah, right. um, Awesome. And I had some good help early on. I'd, I'd contact guys like Mason from Vertex or Rooster from Trailer Trash Pedal Boards and just talk shop with them because no one here was doing any of that stuff, you know. So those guys would just give me pointers and give me sort of advice on doing it here because obviously shipping my pedals to New York or something and having a huge pedal board shipped back was not really an option. So yeah, sure. I kind of just got a bit of a leg up because I was so far away from anyone else doing it. So. Um, I just started building pedal boards for myself and then friends that were musos would, would sort of see it and be like, oh, can you build me one? And then I'd, I'd build their pedal board and then I sort of ended up just getting so many people wanting me to do it that I thought, well, maybe I should structure this a little bit, um, which is when I started Nautilus. So I just started building pedal boards and then over time I started um, – retailing pedals and stuff as well like it was mostly jam pedals was the catalyst for that because i'm so into jam pedals from greece i just think everything they do is amazing i'd have guys come and play my board and they'd say oh, i want a big muff well what's a good big muff you know and i'd be like well the jam pedals one is amazing you know and then i just ended up i'd be sending guys down to my mates at deluxe guitars 10 times a year to buy jam pedals i just thought maybe i should contact jam pedals so i can just have them here you know and um, with and obviously power supplies was the same thing. You build fifty pedal boards a year. You you need a few power supplies, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. The retail side of it was just uh, something that fell into place. So you must have been one of the only guys importing jam pedals, I guess, back then. Yeah, I think back when I started, the only people doing it was um, deluxe guitars. Okay. Yep. Um, and, of course, I was, like, a massive fanboy of jam pedals. Like, I probably had 10 of my own at the time. So <laughs> awesome. the jam guys sort of knew that I was, you know, an obsessive fan kind of thing because I'd email them and ask about things and whatever. So they sort of knew who I was. Yeah, sure. Um, cool. And that was just necessity, really, that jam came out of it. Um, but since then, I, I guess the brands that I stock now, I sort of, because I've got so many friends in the industry and there's a lot of people who feel Australia is a very saturated market because of our low um, our low population, I guess, yep. for, our, for our area. I really try my hardest to just stock brands that I kind of have exclusivity to and, and not so that other people can't get them, but just as a point of difference. You know, sure. I try and yep. things like pro analog devices, I'm the only guy in Australia that has those, and Shine, I'm the only guy who has those. Um just so that I've got something different and I sort of, I'm not a big company. So the things I stock, I really want to be things that I really, really believe in that I know are sort of exceptional products at the top of their game. So 
I guess that's my little niche is to sort of be the guy who, who has a couple of things that are really for the, the very discerning players that want those specific things, you know. Yeah, for sure. Man, looking at your site, yeah, you, you're dealing in stuff. I guess the term's a bit out of vogue now, calling stuff boutique, but um, the stuff you're stocking w- would fall into that. Um, into yeah, that yeah, category. for sure. Yeah, nice, man. Like the Shinai stuff is, is killer. That's that's awesome. I didn't know you were the only guy in Australia doing yeah, that. Yeah, I'm because, the only guy um, who's ever represented Shinai or, or Pro Analog down okay. here. Awesome, man. Um, and now I've just taken on VS Audio, which was something I'd organized maybe six months before um, the Bushfire giveaway. I had that sort of in the works. So now I've got VS Audio here from Greece, which is really amazing stuff. And it's it's actually crazy well-priced for how good it is. It's it's really surprisingly good. Um, and then other stuff, the Comet amplifiers I bring in, um, that's, again, that's another like jam where, I bought my first Comet amp maybe a decade ago and it just it completely changed the way I looked at playing guitar. It changed everything about my life as a guitar player. Um, and for me personally, they're the only amps I'm interested in ever since, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but again, crazy, crazy expensive, really high-end stuff, really small numbers of production. And it's really something that just blossomed out of kind of an existing relationship with those guys. You know, it's just something that I absolutely was obsessed with that i knew was the real deal you know so kind of fit my fit my business model yeah nice nice and i see you've you've brought out your own stuff as well um i know you've recently been designing and building your own boards and and um importing some pedal board backpack cases tell me about that yeah, so that's been something that's sort of been another another thing born out of necessity for me because um, obviously when I start doing all these pedal boards all the time, there's there's a lot of pedal board brands out there, but I guess builders like myself have sort of a style in which they want to do things because you, you fall into habits which you find are things that are reliable to do as a builder. Um, and then I, I would kind of find that no matter which rig I was building, if they brought their own pedal board along, there was always limitations to it, you know, like like pedal trains are exceptionally strong and they're really, really simple, but they're not really that functional to wire underneath, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you get something else like maybe a trailer trash pedal board where it's really great to wire with underneath, but it's not that functional to change things up on because you've kind of got to route the top yourself. Sure. So yeah. I, I just, I never found anything that did everything I wanted to build with and there was always kind of limitations to how well I could build the system based on the board it was on so I just ended up starting to try and find someone to fabricate boards the way I wanted them Um, and I went through a couple of different companies to get there and it's taken a really really long time but I've kind of got it refined now to a design that I'm really happy with that has a bunch of different features of a bunch of different boards and I think it's for my personal tastes of building boards, that's this is what I find the most functional thing. Nice. Now it's it's probably hard to describe on a podcast what your boards look like, but what what are some of the features that were important for you in, in designing these? Okay, so they're really lightweight, which is one of the things because the whole trend in the market at the moment seems to be downsizing. You know, everybody wants to take them on planes or on carry on or weight's a big issue. The same reason guys are taking um 
a fractal unit instead of a instead of a tube amp you know it's mm-hmm. it's all about practicality mostly because of the size of venues and the availability of gigs essentially um so they're really really lightweight but i i made a point of making sure that they were all welded properly a lot of the boards you find that are folded um and it's purely a manufacturing thing is they they'll they'll fold them which gives them strength but then they'll have they won't have corners and stuff um that are welded because the actual manpower costs in welding those they can only be done by hand and they have to be sanded and all these things so the manufacturing cost of the of doing that for other other companies building pedal boards um is just it's it's not viable really um but it has its own drawbacks you know so i i sort of decided that the boards that i wanted were gonna cost was going to be irrelevant and i just wanted to build them the way i wanted them built um and fortunately i've been able to get that after maybe five years of working on it to a point where it is kind of affordable now it just means i have to do them in certain quantities and i i had to find the right people who wanted to do it um and just kind of refine the whole design so the way that they're built is a is a big part of it for me um obviously that the way they're powder coated like i've had them powder coated in a mat because that for some reason, everything just sticks better to it, you know, than, oh, than okay. when they're gloss yep. powder coated. Yeah. Um, they've got a, a whole layout on the top of them that not only is for enabling you to put your cables through the top to wire underneath or whatever, but the way I've done it is so that you can actually use that same whole layout to affix all your cabling to the board itself instead of using those little sticky things and all that. You can just cable tie all your cabling looms directly to the board. Nice. Um, They've got all the side jacks and stuff built into the boards, so um, all the holes to insert the side jacks are actually they have proper screw threads and stuff in them and nuts welded on them and everything like that. So you can change up what panel mount jacks you have if you want XLRs for your DI or you want a USB in or whatever. They're sort of customizable to however you want them, but all that stuff is mounted in the board. It's not an external plate or something. It's it's all right there on the board. So. Um, I think that's that's the main part of the features. Yeah, like cool. everything's awesome. been considered, that the the angle of them and the height of them, and yep. it it's all deliberate. Yeah, and do you have like one size, or you, you you're going various sizes? So over time, I've probably done about in the various incarnations that I've had them, I've probably had about ten different sizes and models, but I've refined that now just down to three, which seem to be the ones that consistently were popular um and were practical to make yep um so yeah i've just got a small one which is 45 by 31 centimeters Mm -hmm. and then i've got a 60 by 31 and then i've got a slightly bigger one that's 60 wide but it's it's deeper for three rows of pedals so that's 60 by 41.5 yeah nice nice yeah they sound good they sound like good sizes awesome man yeah very cool. I did. I did used to do a lot of really big ones, but the, like I said, the trend is guys downsizing. And every time I do a really huge monster board, the guys love it. But then they eventually come back a year later and go, "You know what? It's it's too much effort. Let's do something smaller." And you just go, "Yeah, well." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it depends where you're Oh, I um, I had a season when I was doing lots of weddings, and I had a massive board. And you'd yeah. be you'd be in the corner of a restaurant or something, and the the amount of times I actually had to literally. Just pull a couple of pedals off the board and stick them in my little corner. 
Yeah. I thought, man, maybe I don't need a massive board for for all this stuff. You need two pedal boards. That's that's how it works. That's that's the next step. That's a good excuse. I should have thought of that. Yeah, I do a lot of that actually. I'll have guys that will have the board that lets them have fun, and then the board that is practical. Yeah, you know? right. Nice. What um, apart from size, I guess. Then you talked about downsizing. What what other trends have you seen over the years of building this stuff? Oh, that's that's an interesting question. I mean, obviously, you get. It's funny being in a in a fairly pedal specific corner of the industry. Um, I guess it always comes back to pedals, but you see things like the like the the modeling and all that kind of stuff that comes around. And from someone in my position, it's interesting because you see on the on the world stage, the modeling stuff is really taking over and getting super super popular. But for me, every time I do a board with a modeler on it, the guy comes back six months later and just wants his pedals back. You know? Okay. Yeah. So that's one thing I think is is a trend that isn't a trend in a way, you know, like the I guess the guys that are into pedals are really into pedals because of what they are and how artistic they are and how creative they are and you know they're almost like tamagotchis for for guitar players, you know, <laughs> you you got to catch them all. So I think pedals are here for the long haul. Yeah, um, yeah. The trends even with pedals though is is about smaller, more compact stuff. You know, guys don't want a, a deluxe memory man that's, you know, twenty five centimeters wide. They want something that's got functionality in a small footprint. That's that's a big thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, the last two years, I think there's been a huge move towards pedals with presets on board, like the Chase Bliss stuff, the Meris stuff, Strymon, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even in the more simple analog circuits, like the the VS Audio guys have got pedals that are in the same small enclosures as, say, um, like an MXR pedal, but they've got like they're all analog modulation pedals, but then they've got presets in that as well. So people being able to get away with using TRS for MIDI and stuff has been really helpful in that side of things, which is cool. So yeah, I yeah, think yeah. functionality is the big one. Mm-hmm globally in in the guitar world at the moment is people just need things to be more functional than they've previously been you know yeah what about loop switches has that become part of your board uh yeah i mean i've I've got an rjm switcher on my bird my board personally um yeah i've 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 been big on the loop switches for a long time so i think it's, it's hard for me to say how much more popular they are. I don't necessarily think there's that many more people using them than there was 10 years ago comparatively. Um, but I, I could be wrong. I, I still think most, probably 75% of the boards I build don't have them. Okay, yeah. Um, but they're a lot more widely known about. I think Dan with the gig rig switches has brought them to a lot of people's attention, you know, yeah, but yeah, they, sure. they've been around for a decade before Dan was doing them, you know, so they've, they're nothing new, but they're getting better, I suppose, is the thing. They're, they're more in depth for sure. Sure. Yeah. How about, um, these are some, some arguments or debates I've seen, which I don't know if they're still a common thing. Um, Patch cables, solderless versus soldered. What's what's your take? Well, here's one you're going to get a real opinion on because <laughs> cool. I, as a builder, I um, 
Oh, sorry, my dogs are going nuts in the background. No worries, no worries. We, we're we're <laughs> dog friendly here on the on the Guitar Speak podcast. Yeah, my wife's just taking them out for a walk, so they're all excited. Um, okay, so the solderless thing. I I spent probably five years going through every type of solderless connector I could find because I kept hearing all this hype about them, the George Ells and stuff, you know. Yeah. And I thought, geez, that's so practical for someone in my line of work. And I bought and sold absolutely everything, and every one of them I thought was rubbish. I just there was there was always issues with grounding and 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 shorting and things like just just poorly designed things with set screws that would you could use once and then as soon as you try and undo it it's all burnt out because they're not hard enough metal and there was just always all these detractions from it. So I was for a long time I swore against solderless. I was like I'm just not doing it. It's not reliable. And then my buddy Jack up at JH Productions said, man, you got to try Evidence Audio. So he sent me down a few. And as far as I'm concerned, they are as reliable and they sound better than absolutely anything else on the market, sold it or not. So I I would not, by choice, use anything other than Evidence Audio on a pedal board. Okay. Yeah. I don't know whether that's... A, you know, whether people think that's a trustworthy recommendation, being that I'm the dealer in this part of the country sure, for it, sure. but they just completely changed the way I built boards. Okay. I, I don't think I've ever had one fail on me, and I would have put 10,000 of them on pedal boards. Um, just the way he's designed them is completely different to how any other ones are designed. You know, the, the center pin is a solid core. And it screws into the connector itself. So the actual center pin connection, the hot connection, is actually screwed in with a thread. It's not. Oh, okay. It's wow. not like resting in a thing by force. Yeah. And then they have no set screws, which is the big thing. The way that the way they work is that the center pin is held in firm, and then the the ground wire, which is braid, is basically constantly making contact with the shell of the connector. So there's no set screws to come out or go loose. And you, you can't short them without really, really trying. Like, you physically can't separate this connector by hand without deliberately breaking it. So, for me, there's there's no reliability issue there for shorting. It's it's almost impossible. And then the fact that Tony was like a... He was a some kind of nutty genius working in, in some kind of engineering thing. I don't remember the story off, off the top of my head where he was. Um, it was literally like NASA or something, though. Um, so he he came up with his own composite types of metals and stuff that he wanted to use in his cabling. And whatever he's done is just genius because it just sounds absolutely incredible. I've done I've done blind um, blind tests with with other guys that sell high end cables, and Tony's cheapest cables have beat out the most expensive things guys can get their hands on when they don't know what they're listening to, you know. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm a big advocate for the evidence audio stuff. I just think it's absolute game-changing stuff. So that's my take on, on soldered versus solderless. Yeah, cool. The answer, the answer from me is soldered all the way yeah. except for evidence audio. Okay. Well, it sounds fairly well-researched, your, uh, your position. So that's yeah. cool. Nice one. What about um, power? That's, that's, power. It's not the most exciting topic, but it, maybe it should be for a lot of guys with boards. yeah yeah what do you want to know <laughs> um what what's important what what should what should people putting together their own pedal boards and stuff at home be be considering um or if they're getting someone to build a board you know what's what's what what well, are the important takeaways 
Well, I think the biggest thing is isolation. You need an isolated supply because it, power, mains power is so different everywhere you go that what interference you're going to run into is not going to be consistent. So the more consistent you can fail safe your board, the better it's going to be. So um, from my experience, the Chox power supplies are the best for isolation. Mm-hmm. Um that's my recommendation. I use them over anything else, and I'm a dealer for just about everything. Yeah. Um, the Strymon ones also are really, really good. Um, I've been using Voodoo Lab for years, and they're awesome. Um, most of them on the market these days are pretty bulletproof. Um, I think the other the other big thing is that properly shielded cables is is pretty important. I see a lot of guys talking about not running your your DC with your audio and stuff like that. And I've just never had an instance where that was a problem because I've always used quality components, you know? Okay, yeah. So I think it's about just making the right choice first and saving yourself the headache later. That's that's something I, I find is pretty useful advice. Sure, yep, yep. Yeah, it's, it's massive. And again, if you're playing... If you're playing out a lot, you're going to run into lots of different venues. Like there's venues I go to, I know the power is is not great, and my rig always sounds bad in, in particular yeah. rooms or pubs. Um, my my last gig before uh, COVID shut down all the gigs was uh, in, in a pub in in Sydney, and I was next to a wall of um, TV screens, which is not uncommon in. Um, you know, in a lot of pubs, and man, my single yeah. my single coil pickups were going nuts. And usually, I don't mind a bit of buzz, but yeah, somewhere in my chain, I've got some stuff which is inviting a bit of noise. So those little details, hey, like yeah, well, that's power right. I mean, and all that can make a huge especially difference. with with lighting and stuff in these in these clubs. Lighting interfering yeah, with your guitar, yeah. there's not there's not too much you can really do about that in most instances, especially if you're using single coils, you know. So yeah, sure. Anywhere you can cut down on it with good cables and good good DC supply in the first place is it can sort of be an exponential help, you know. And then they're not all created equal. A lot of the different power supplies, some of them have real advantages over others and, and mm-hmm. drawbacks. Um I guess it's just kind of doing your research, you know, but I guess if I had to if I had to throw one brand out there that's reliable in that sense, chocks for me are pretty much bulletproof. I I don't think there's a supply on the market that does much better than they do it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, is, is there any sense in you running separate power supplies? If you got if you got something really wacky like, I don't know, like an 18 volt something or other or um i've got a fuzz face on my board um or fuzz face circuit that doesn't like anything (laughs) it wants to be first in the chain and um i'm thinking of just whacking a nine volt battery on there just to just to separate it from the other guys um any instances where where um, that's a thing uh it's funny you say that because i've just started building a thing that i call the the b82 res which is an ali g joke um but it's basically just a little a little unit. It's a fifteen ninety enclosure, the size of a Polytune Mini, um, and I've basically made that so it's two completely isolated nine volt battery supplies, um, so that guys can just pop this tiny little thing on their board for such instances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you know it, it's tiny. It just runs off internal batteries, but you can switch it on and off and not save your not waste your battery life. Oh, that sounds cool. Um, 
I haven't really released them yet, but I've been building them custom for guys. I think I've probably done about 10 of them now. Um, there can be advantages, but the thing is the more the more things you're plugging into the mains, the more problems sure. that creates in itself too. So yeah, um, it's kind of, there's, there's not one answer for that. It's case dependent, you know what I mean? So, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, there's, I, I build plenty of boards that have two power supplies on them, but they generally run off the same mains connector, um, you know, and we just chain the supplies on the board. Oh, okay, yep, yep. Um, again, if if things are isolated, it it's probably the biggest thing. You know, I think when you start running a wall wart and a power supply off a power board into the same wall outlet, it, it can get complicated and, and it can be hard to problem solve and work out exactly where the problems are coming from sure uh, yep. but yeah it's really case dependent yeah sure Pet pedals you mentioned earlier you know it's it's such a great time for for guys who are into pedals and it seems like it just gets bigger and bigger and i'm you know guys my generation um buying boss pedals in the 80s uh, you know it's it's been a lot of fun ever since you know it's it's just exponential yeah every day is christmas for us isn't it you just jump on instagram yeah, and all of a sudden your head explodes every single day <laughs> have we reached um full pedal saturation point or is there still room for for new stuff you know i i hear a lot of opinions about this i know um a lot of guys, some of the guys I deal with in particular, talk about how the, the pedal industry has kind of exploded so much that eventually it's just going to it's going to tip over and then only the strong will survive kind of thing. But I just don't think that's the nature of what it is we like about it. Me personally, I think it's just going to keep going. I think it might, you know, eventually if there's a million pedal builders on earth, which we're not far from now, maybe everybody's going to get a little bit less market share. So there might be more pressure on guys to be competitive in that but mm -hmm. i don't i don't think it's gonna tip over like like a lot of guys say and just you know everyone's gonna go out of business i just don't think that's that's how it is you know they're, they're like basketball cards when i was a kid you know there's there's always new ones and every season they're gonna bring out something else and uh -huh. new trends are gonna emerge and you know i think if you looked at the pedal industry 20 years ago no one would have thought it would have gotten to the point that it is now so for sure, for sure, yeah. I think the only way is up, really. Yeah, good times, man, good times. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, hey, Scott, so yeah. fun, so fun talking about this stuff. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on Team Pedal as well, same as you, same as half the, the planet. So, um, yeah, it's always fun talking about it and, and you know, someone like you with, with such a a wealth of experience, good to hear your take on, on a bunch of different things, man. So thanks for thanks for the time. No worries, man. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk. Yeah, for sure. And um, what's the best way for people to, to keep up with Nautilus effects? Uh, I'd probably say follow my Instagram. Um, I'm, I'm trying to make a concerted effort to, to be more active on there, but it's it's always a time restraint for me. Sure. Um, I've got my website, which is just NautilusEffectSystems.com. If anybody wants to, they can contact me through there. But Instagram's probably the way that I have the most interaction, I yeah, think. Yeah, so. great. Great, yeah. It's a really easy way to keep stuff immediate too. So, sounds good. Yeah, man. sounds good. Excellent. Well, man, thanks again, and um, let's talk again soon. Unreal, man. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. All right, my conversation with Scott Salmon of Nautilus Effects. Always great talking with Scott. 
good guy, very authentic, very knowledgeable, and uh, really fun talking about pedals and gear and stuff. Is there anything more fun? I don't know. Enough that he is. Hey, check out um, Nautilus through Instagram or head over to the website. There'll be links in our show notes for that stuff. Whilst you're online, why not go to guitarspeakpodcast.com? You can check out any of our previous episodes, buy a t shirt, check out our free backing tracks, all that kind of stuff. Okie dokes, I'm out of here. Thank you so much for joining me on the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling, and I'll catch you next time. Bye now.